Care of is a subscription service that ships high-quality personalized vitamins and powders conveniently to your door every month. For 50% off your first Care of order, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code AMR50. Thanks to Dipsy for its continued support of Another Mother Runner. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to heat things up, there's a story waiting for you. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hi, Sarah. So I hear you're coming to us from your closet. I just had an interesting experience with my closet. Uh... (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, um, I went to open, I was putting away some laundry, um, as one is wont to do. And I, um, have two doors, um, to my closet. Um, you know, so they meet in the middle and you pull them out and they oftentimes stick. So I, so it's stuck and I gave a real hard pull. And next thing I know, there is a shattered mirror on the, on the floor next to me. Oh my gosh. So huge, you know, full length mirror, boom. Wow. Carpeting and it breaks into, you know, mm -hmm, yeah. Um, so I, (laughs) I knew that, uh, Jack, my husband was in the basement. So two floors away. So I call him and I'm like, um, my mirror broke. Can you bring up a bunch of paper bags and the vacuum? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you could be finding bits and pieces of that for a long time. Oh, terrifying. yes, most certainly there are going to be pieces of glass. <laughs> I, I told, uh, so John, my 16 year old son is getting a late start to the school day. And I said, don't walk in my room barefoot for the next two years. And I'm yeah, serious. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> in, in which you are glad that your youngest is 16. <laughs> right, exactly. Now I just have to keep the pets away. So, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what's that? Oh, mom seems concerned. Let me come over and check it out. I definitely <laughs> need to go there. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. With my little paws all exposed. Right. Uh, um, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So, um, so I hear that you are injured. Do tell. Oh, Sarah, it's, it's my hip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and are you, where are you in your recovery timeline with your hip? Oh, so yeah, with my bulging disc, it's, um, I just, I, I'm on an upward tra- trajectory. I, um, but this morning I went for an almost hour long walk and, I definitely feel it. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, in that hour long walk, maybe I tried to see how running felt for a total of two and a half blocks split up about five times. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not yeah. terrible. I've, I've been doing very similar thing wherever uh-huh. every now and then I take a few running like steps to uh-huh. see, uh, just yeah, how, yeah. how bad it, it hurts. And like, okay, yep. We're not there yet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the key thing. I, um, while I was out walking, I ran into a young man, Paul, who I've mentioned a bunch of times on the podcast. He grew up across the street from us. I adore him. He's a new dad. And it was the first time I'd seen him since they had their son. And um, so I told him, I was like, oh, yeah. And he was running. And and, um, so I told him, I said, oh, yeah, I haven't been running since mid-February. And I've tried to 
you know, working some running steps, but it hurts. He's like, oh, it's so good. You stop when you do that. And I could see the look on his, you know, 30 something face being like, right. huh, I'd probably just keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there gets to be a point in your life when you just can't. I mean, I like literally can't. If I were walking across the street and a car was coming, I cannot run. I mean, I yeah, cannot yeah. run. It yeah. I did maybe six or seven weeks ago. I I was I jaywalked and uh, then the, there was a car coming, so I needed to hustle a little bit. And it was like it yeah. was questionable whether I was going to be able to get out of the way in time. Right. Uh, right. Um, yeah. And then it's also a, a matter of then how do I want to feel during the rest of my day? Like ah. like you know how how um, how much of a hitch do I want in my giddy up? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and man, it was it was so bad for so long. I'm like, oh, I can't go back there. So I'm like, gotta play it safe. So yeah. So um, now, because can you ride a bike? Does that does that hurt it as well, or does it help uh, it? I haven't tried. I've been doing a lot of swimming. Um, mm. I started working out with my trainer again. Um, so for now, I'm happy doing that. I've thought about asking Molly if I could um, ride her Nordic track bike, um, mm -hmm. but just hasn't the spirit hasn't moved me yet. And I know that also walking and trying to do a little bit of running is good for me. You know, it, huh. it, it gets some some of the right muscles activated and all that stuff. So for now, I'm like, okay, walking is what I can do. So. Yes, yes, and and walking is nice. <laughs> it is well, particularly this time of year, it's nice to be out there, you right. know, and and right. seeing so, and you do get to see things more closely. It's like oh, yeah. and and you know, I stop and literally smell the flowers more yeah, often. Yeah, that's so. that's fun. Do you yeah. listen to do you listen to things because I like to um, listen to audiobooks when I go for my walks, and and I find it yes. addictive, honestly. Yes, yes, I do. I um, I do that. I listen to some podcasts. Yeah, what uh, what audiobook are you listening to right now? Oh, I just finished listening to something called "In the Shadow of the Mountain," which is by oh. Sylvia. I can't remember her last name, but she's the first Peruvian woman to have summited Mount Everest. Wow! And she is a survivor of um of uh, childhood abuse, and she organized. Mm. She has a nonprofit of uh, survivors that she led of female mm. survivors that she led to base camp on a hike to base camp and uh it's just and she reads it herself and she's got this delightful peruvian accent and she's oh, just awesome. clearly enjoying the their performance of the book and um and her story is incredible and the and the walking you know she walks the group to um to base camp she interweaves her personal backstory and then she uh talks about um going up to the summit of mount Everest, and it's just wow. really it was it was thrilling and delightful at the same time Oh my gosh, I think that's the book that Molly mentioned last week on the podcast yeah. because last week's guest had just was is an OBGYN in Virginia who had just hiked to base camp. Okay. And that was that was her intent. That was her final yeah. destination was yeah. to get to base camp. Right. And um so I'm almost positive that is the book she mentioned as well. So there's something in okay, the so something in the air. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just started listening to a novel called The People We Hate at the Wedding, and it's by um Grant uh, Ginder, I think is how I'm good. It's like Grinder, but without the first R. Uh -huh. And, and um, he's actually, I think it's the cousin of um, a Bammer, one of our Bammer bastards, Pam. Oh, cool. And he, his newest book, which I'm spacing out on the name of, just got really good uh, review in the New York Times. And so that, I don't think, the wait list for that was too long. So this one, one of his earlier books sounded good. So I started listening to it. I so, like the title. It is, yes, 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 yes. And it's uh, uh, um, 
so far it's a brother and sister and their half sister is getting married at a very posh wedding in England. And so um, kind of, and there's two narrators because there's the one who plays the sister and the one who plays the brother. Um, but yeah, it's fun. I like it the, is, the two yeah. voices. Yes, 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 yes. So it's good. But gosh, I tell you here in Portland, there's such a long wait for audiobooks from our library. Ah. So um, our our library is very well loved and used. So um, so it like I don't know if I live somewhere else. I think I'd be able. Yeah, I'll listen to that. Boom, done. Here it's on my yeah, phone. No, and it's, <laughs> it's the same thing here. And I, you know, oh, I, okay. I put like I load up my library. I mean, you can only put yourself on the wait list for five books. Oh. <laughs> and oh. I always I always have five in the in the app well, queued up to go. And as soon as they land there, I you know I check them out and and listen. Yeah, I don't think we, I mean, if we have a limit, I've never reached it. And I've easily, and that's, we, you know, between books and audiobooks. And I've had, I mean, at times probably 12 to 16 things on hold. Do you ever, so. do you ever sometimes get a, a message from a, for a book that's ready for you to pick up? And you're like, wait, what book is that? I don't remember that book. <laughs> I know, I know. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's one Ellison just offhandedly mentioned. And then, then and then at the time I'm like, oh, that sounds fascinating. Oh yeah, I totally want to listen to that. And then I go and I'm like, huh. Eh. Yeah, somebody else can have it. Never mind. <laughs> it's good that you can even remember why you, you I look out I'll, I'll get one. Like, why did I why did I choose that? I don't even remember why I thought that right. might be good. <laughs> yes. NPR, New York Times, Ellison. So mm, right. Yeah. Somebody in my book group. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, um, I had a thrilling weekend. Um, my son, again, John, the 16 year old, he's a member of a pre-professional dance company at his school. It's called Jefferson Dancers. And they, in normal times, they have an annual series of performances at a downtown theater here in Portland. And so it's, you know, it's the big event of the year. And so this year they did two performances on the same day rather than, you know, let's say four or five performances spread out over a couple days. And, oh my goodness, I've literally been waiting for over two years for this. And I distinctly remember, I went before John was a Jefferson dancer, I would take him to the one of the performances. And I so vividly remember um, when he was in eighth grade before he made the company. And I said, John, the next time we see this, you're going to be on stage. And little did I know we'd have to wait three How three years. Take, yeah. 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 So um oh my gosh. So um there were a couple of bammers in the audience and I'm really grateful for them to show up and Oh my goodness, he was in every single piece. He was in two what they call interludes, which are the little um, uh, student choreographed pieces that are between the larger pieces so that the other dancers can be getting ready. Um, and oh, he did a, a tap interlude that he choreographed and it was oh, cool. so, oh, and he's like tap is definitely his, one might say his best um, medium of dance. Um, is that the right, is that the singular? Is that the plural? I don't know. <laughs> And uh, um, so, oh, and it just, he let his personality show through. There was some wit in it and some sweetness and a little bit of wry wink and nod toward the audience. And um, oh my goodness, it was just, it was so, so good. Um, it sounds awesome, Sarah. And you sent a few um, photos to me and I looked at the uh, the Instagram for, is Jefferson Davis the name of it? Uh, Jefferson, yeah, Jefferson Dancers PDX. Mm -hmm. Jefferson yeah. Dancers PDX. It was 
so amazing. They're mm. the, the even just the photos and those quick snippet of video. It's so they're so um, athletic and mm. artistic at the same time, and it just mm. looks exhilarating. Oh, that's wonderful for you to say that. Thank you. Yeah, it was. Um, it's interesting because you know, well, first of all, you don't very often get to see your kids from a long way off. You know that that you know when you're in your house, you're sort of right on top of them, and so to to even have that perspective, and then so he did this one piece with I don't know if you saw the video for it with um, two young women, and they are on these ropes that are yes. um, extended, yeah, and so um, and the uh, young women are wearing white unitards with you know some um, interesting cutouts in them, and so John's just wearing white. Uh, kind of tights or I don't know if they're full-length tights but he's so pale you might not have noticed but he's not wearing a shirt and um, oh my goodness like he's just he looks like he's from an anatomy book it's like oh look there's that muscle there's that muscle there's that muscle <laughs> he looks like a professional dancer yeah but but just so he's you know he's so cut, slen- so cut but so so young and so slender right. and right. Um, oh and another thing he wears um shorts and a t-shirt like fitted shorts and i mean just every quad and calf muscle is just popping out of his legs um so it was really really just even interesting to to see my son as you know like a young man um so and it's that i don't know that 16 year old age is it's a nice balance between still being a boy and being a young man and kind of seeing that manifested in an art form yes Um, yeah yeah. Yes, yes. Again, back to that artistic and athletic combined. Mm-hmm. Which, yes. Don't mm-hmm. you wish you could do that? I wish I could <gasps> do that. Oh my gosh, there's this one young woman who is um, about my height, but needless to say, not not my build. Um, and she, I just look at her, and so she, she's classically trained in ballet, but they also do this hip-hop number, and she just pops and locks and does everything and i'm like oh can i just be jillian for one yeah. day that's all i want is to be in her body and know what it feels like to be able to move like that um, right without your hip hurting oh my gosh oh my gosh she does the whole show opens with her um doing this thing where she's up on her toes and then she leans back and so that juts her knees out and that she almost gets her her um shin bones all the way toward the ground slowly slowly lowering before she puts her back on the ground like it's like limbo to the nth degree yeah i'm just like oh my gosh like if i try to lean back like that i'd fall over within seconds it's it's painful to watch (laughs) they they just keep on doing all these back bends in this one number and i'm like oh oh that hurts my disc yeah Um, so cancer so, views from injured runners yes right <laughs> the, the new podcast um, oh my goodness well thank you for letting me share and thank you for looking at those pictures and who knows maybe i will uh put a link into those that instagram account in the show notes um so our guest today is vanessa corcoran phd author of the new memoir, It's a Marathon, Not a Sprint, My Road to the Marathon and PhD, which details, as you might guess from the title, it uh, tells the intertwined tales of Vanessa training for a marathon while pursuing a doctorate degree in medieval history. Vanessa is now an advising dean at Georgetown in D.C., as well as a mother of a toddler. In her book, Vanessa talks candidly about striving for goals that seem out of reach and demanding excellence from oneself and others. Vanessa will join Tish and I after this break. Stick around to listen. Folks, you're allowed to switch things up when you feel like it. 
Run your regular four-mile loop in the opposite direction. Take a bar class instead of yoga, a mocha instead of a latte. With Dipsy, you can always choose what feels good in the moment. Dipsy, it's an app designed by women for women, and it's full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. Dipsy Stories bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to fuel your desire. And if you listen to last week's TMI episode of our podcast with an OBGYN, you might be like me, thinking you need to keep things happening down there. Not just for sexual health and fulfillment, but for overall health. Given the advice the good doctor gave, think of Dipsy as a training tool for your love muscles. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com AMR. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash AMR. dipsystories.com slash AMR. I recently had some routine blood work done and I was shocked at how deficient I am in some areas. My iron levels were really low as well as my vitamin D. Luckily, I already have a monthly subscription set up with Care-of, a service that ships high quality personalized vitamins and powders conveniently to your door. So I was able to pop onto their website and add these vitamins to my next 30 day supply. It was so easy and so empowering to know that I can take charge of my health with just a few clicks of my mouse. When I was first introduced to Care-of, I was so curious about how the entire process works. Well, let me just tell you, it couldn't be easier. First, you head to the Care-of website and take a short five-minute quiz that asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health concerns. Through this quiz, I learned that I needed to add calcium, collagen, and fish oil to my everyday routine, as well as astuxanthin, a vitamin I had never heard of before that has so many benefits for women in their 40s. For 50% off when you place your first care of order, visit takecareof.com and use promo code AMR50. That's 50% off your first care of order when you go to takecareof.com and enter AMR50 at checkout. Hello, Vanessa, and welcome to the podcast and congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Good, good. Yeah, Tish, uh, you think that maybe you and Vanessa cross paths at um, some point earlier in your lives? Yeah, I feel like I know you, Vanessa, from through your writing from the Runner's World blog uh, platform back in the day called The Loop. Is that right? Did you used to write for them? That's correct. So I kept my personal blog, Medievalist Running in Circles, going (laughs) on my own website. But shortly after I had created my blog, which laid the foundation for the book I wrote, uh, the loop had launched as a platform. And so I would sort of double post my blog there. Mm. And it just created such a wonderful community all, you know, every day, getting to know all of these people who were training for races or dealing with injuries. And then we started doing loop meetups and meeting each other at expos and races and um, even though the loop platform no longer exists, we still have a Facebook group and, oh. and still connect. And um, it, it's really amazing how both the processes of writing and running can bring people together mm-hmm. and create a shared connection, even without meeting in person first. Yeah, yeah it's, it's cool. It's a community. It's really cool. And I'm also pretty sure that you and I met in person 
at the 2009 Marine Corps Marathon. Um, ah. I think you and Bart, yeah, so yeah, um, did a shakeout run wow. that was part of some runner's world experience thing. Um, yes. yeah. And so I remember going to that and speaking to you at that. And, and isn't that just what's so funny about life is you meet people at one point, and you don't know when your paths are going to intersect again and, mm-hmm. and in what ways. Um, Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think we've actually gone running together one time. Oh, that's fabulous. Fabulous. So Vanessa, it sounds like you and I had very similar childhoods reading all the time and eschewing athletic endeavors. So tell us about your journey from reader to runner. To anyone who knew me before 2008, who later on discovered I became an athlete, was justifiably shocked because that was not... <laughs> my childhood at all. I was a voracious reader with sneak books at the dinner table. (laughs) Even if we were driving to my grandparents' house across town, a 10 minute drive, I had to pack a couple of books. And so I, and I was not athletic at all. I mean, my parents had me do soccer and I got the wind knocked out of me and just my instinct is to duck when a ball you know, comes in my direction. So I just did not do sports at all. And I was, I was very musical. I sang, I did piano, you know, that was much more my scene. Going into middle school, they told everyone you need to sign up for a sport, which obviously no one, there weren't, you know, 300 people playing fall sports, but (laughs) you were told you either need to sign up for soccer or cross country. Well, I'm not doing soccer. I, cannot deal with that anymore. But why don't I try this cross country thing, which my parents laughed because I did not like running Mm -hmm. and did not even really like walking around. And (laughs) my mom likes to tease me that I would, we would go shopping and I would ask her if she could pick me up at the other side of the mall because I didn't want to walk all the way back. (laughs) So they're like, okay, good luck with this cross country thing. Um, But to my mom's credit, she also read all of the guidelines from the school about how to uh, get ready for that. And so she would take me to the local track and I would do a mile a couple of days a week and came to cross country, at least somewhat prepared. And I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the fact that there felt like less pressure compared to, you know, a, a ball sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just in middle school. And when high school came around, the season overlapped with doing the school play. Mm. So I was like, I'm, I'm done with that. That was a fun little experience. And, and that was really it. And so I just was not athletic until I started grad school. And that seemed to be this really pivotal moment in my life. I had graduated college in 2008. I had moved to Washington, D.C. to start grad school. And I thought, this was the time to create new habits and that it would be worth trying this new thing or returning to something that I knew I could at least kind of do. And so I thought grad school is going to be hard. This, this could be helpful. And I would jog occasionally in college, but not with any sense of, of regularity in it. But I thought, you know, new city, new school, try this, try this new thing. Mm-hmm. And then that, that was life-changing. Yes, and by the time we met uh, in 2009 at the Marine Corps Marathon, you were really quite serious uh, about running, and and we're running marathons and fast marathons at that. 
Absolutely. So I, you know, that, that first semester of grad school, fall 2008, just really started testing the waters, running around the campus, running around DC for five miles at a time and uh, met someone else who was into running more regularly at that point. And we would go out, run around the National Mall on Saturday mornings. And it was so beautiful. And mm-hmm. whenever we would run together, we would you know, talk big ideas because he was also in a grad program. So we talked about school and, and our, our hopes and dreams. And, you know, sometimes we would talk about marathons and, and how cool that seemed. And he finally, after doing this for a couple of months, wrote to me and said, I think we should commit to doing this. There's a marathon in DC in March. That's five months away. I think we could do this. And so I said, why not? And, <laughs> and at that point we had run six miles and, and that's pretty bold at that point to <laughs> think, you know, Hey, I've run six miles. I can do over four times that um, in less than five months time. But I really fell in love with the training. Uh, I'm certainly someone who appreciates structure and routine, but I also became more adventurous as I got into running. And I liked the idea of stretching my abilities and, you know, regularly doing something I had never done before. Okay. This is the first time I've ever run for an hour at a time. This is my first double digit run, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going all the way up to the, the, tw- the 20 mile training run, you know, each, each time checking off one of these new boxes was just this really unique feeling of accomplishment. And I, certainly loved singing and, and the performing arts as I did in college, but the, the feeling of satisfaction was just different mm. this time around. So, uh, so in your book, you bring up the word, you're, you're talking about that prompts this, that, that you bring up the word indefatigable in terms of training for the marathon and going after a PhD in medieval history. Um, can you talk about the parallels for you between those two endeavors? Absolutely. In terms of being indefatigable, both doing a PhD and a marathon taught me that each endeavor required a degree of consistency mm. and putting something into each day and knowing that there would be long-term payoffs, even if I couldn't see what those exact results would be in one day's time. So, um, you know, with running knowing a five mile run or a swim or just even doing the proper stretching, you may not immediately see how that one set of exercises is going to get you perhaps to the Boston Marathon one day, Mm -hmm. but doing it again with consistency um, and, and doing it in a smart way was going to pay off. And a similar parallel was true for the PhD program. Uh, you know, you don't earn a PhD in a day. Uh, <laughs> you earn it through doing bits of work every single day, reading, writing, editing, going to classes, uh, in my case, with a degree in medieval history, working on your languages mm. and sticking to that plan of putting in a chunk of time to also diversifying your skill sets. And, and that is an overlap too. You don't just get better at running by only running. You you stretch, you cross train, and the same goes with an academic degree. 
you need to do all of these different kinds of skills that will ultimately intersect and make you a stronger thinker and a stronger runner. And so once I learned that it was more about establishing a routine that was rigorous, but manageable instead of going to the well every single time with every single track workout or every single writing session, but chipping away at it was going Mm -hmm. to be what led to positive results. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Boston uh, Marathon. And so um, after you broke four hours in your first marathon, you set your sights on qualifying for Boston, which you did and you ran with the help of a runner friend who served as a coach. And and um, before the marathon, you were both diagnosed with celiac disease and you hurt your knee. Wow, that's a lot to go through. <laughs> um, so you had to go gluten-free. Uh, you... Um, uh, started a cross training plan your coach designed for you that included swimming and weight training, and um, it must have been really hard to make all those changes, uh, you know, before the storied Boston Marathon, which had been a goal for you. But it also worked out pretty well for you. It really did, and I look back at that time, uh, fall twenty ten, early spring twenty eleven, as one of the most critical moments of my life because I was handed a series of challenges that I had to really think about how I was going to respond to in terms of changing my diet, changing my exercise. And, you know, at that point, the hip and knee pain was so bad that, you know, things would hurt after running two or three miles. And I knew that wasn't normal. And I knew trying to push through that was no longer going to be sustainable if I wanted to be able to run in Boston, you know, in a few months time. And so I really had to trust the advice of my coach and nutritionist and doctors, all of these people that taking these, you know, really big radical steps to changing my lifestyle were going to pay off pun intended in the long run. Uh, (laughs) And I'm so glad I did because it's not just that I ran a lifetime best at the Boston Marathon that year. Mm -hmm. It made me a stronger runner and it made me more open to taking those bigger risks Mm. um, with the advice of, you know, professional experts. Um, And as a result of seeing how well taking those risks were, I became more open to doing that in other aspects of my life. I later on took a job out in California. I don't think I would have left the East Coast a year prior to that. I uh, was, you know, in the dating world, you know, not not having the best success, (laughs) but, finally was putting myself out there and saying no to mediocrity and, <laughs> and, and, and not willing. And, and I was comfortable waiting things out um, in a way that I hadn't been previously. And that paid off at the, the you know, I, a, a year later I met my husband. Mm. Uh, whereas previously, you know, I would have settled. And mm. so it, it made me bolder, in a way that I'm so grateful for. And of course, you don't get to know when you're handed a critical moment that 
when everything seems hopeless, oh, this is going to ultimately change your life for the positive and the ways that you choose to tackle this moment of adversity are going to shape you from here on out. And you wrote about it actually on, on Instagram as well. Uh, there, you had a post that said, um, this made me confident in taking big leaps of faith and not just in running and dating. And you also mentioned in your dissertation topics. Absolutely. Uh, so I, uh, in undergrad, was very interested in the topic of medieval witchcraft. I had done all of this mm. really interesting coursework. Uh, there was a famous well, less famous, and, and but there was a really interesting witch trial in 1324 about a woman who was accused of murdering three of her four husbands, maiming mm. the fourth one, really salacious <laughs> stuff. And I had enjoyed researching that in undergrad. I came to grad school thinking I was going to continue with that and was starting to lose interest. And I was in coursework with a really fascinating professor and was doing reading on medieval religious uh, pilgrimage and, and spiritual devotion and just realized I was able to get satisfaction from that instead. Mm. And my roommate, who was a classmate of mine in grad school, had pointed this out and said, you, you know, the way that you're talking about this is different than how you've ever discussed medieval witchcraft. <laughs> huh. Okay. So... I spoke to my professor about it. I said, you know, maybe I'm not interested in this topic anymore. Maybe, maybe I should pursue a different path. And she said, you know, this is the time to switch. You haven't actually started the dissertation yet. You know, I was still in coursework. There were still several steps before I really had to commit to a topic. This is the time to switch if, if you're going to do it. And I'm so relieved that I did. I mm. ultimately produced a project. I was incredibly passionate about. And I also know that had I, had, I, I'm not entirely certain that if I had stayed with my original topic, one, if I would have enjoyed it as much, and two, if I ever even would have finished, you know, mm. um, the PhD uh, programs are incredibly difficult. Uh, only 57% of people finish within a 10 year period. Wow. I could have easily been in that statistic of not finishing. And so yeah. I'm glad again that I was comfortable making a big change. Wow. Wow. So so to harken back to something you said and and it involves a big change, um, you managing your celiac disease, you mm -hmm. know, as an endurance athlete, it happened while you were training for Boston. How I know um, you know, people listening have celiac or they're also or they're opting to um, you know, reduce their carb intake for other reasons. Talk about how um, you've made that switch to a gluten-free diet, you know, how maybe it, you've ma managed to not have it impact your training. Um, yeah, I think people will be interested in that if you could elaborate a bit. Yes. So I was diagnosed with this in 2010 uh, it, because a relative of mine had been facing some health issues, got tested for it. And then because it's genetic, you know, my entire side of my mom's family was told to get tested. Mm. I was the only other one who came back having it. And I was very upset about it at first because, hey, I liked pizza and <laughs> blue moon beer uh -huh. and donuts after 20 mile runs. Uh -huh. And I didn't want to give all of that up. And I was, you know, angry. I remember previously my 
doctor had said I was one of his healthiest patients. And suddenly I find out that actually, no, my intestines have, look like smoker's lungs in terms Ooh. of all of this, you know, buildup. So in terms of being open to change, I was not, I was so frustrated. And I mean, I, I, I knew that I, I would have to, to change, but the process of saying goodbye to all of those foods was not easy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I have now come to learn there are so many wonderful gluten-free products. Mm-hmm. And as diets are becoming more varied, more people are becoming vegetarian or vegan uh, or dairy-free, you know, there are just so many more alternatives that are also tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel very fortunate that this all happened, you know, while the internet was up and running quite nicely because, <laughs> you know, it was very easy to go on to Pinterest and find recipes for cooking and mm. learning about how to make substitutions. Um, and I also have to credit the elite athletes who had celiac, who spoke about it. Mm. Um, and the, the two that come to mind are Amy Yoder Begley, mm-hmm. the 2008 Olympian, Mm-hmm. Uh, who became an Olympian after her diagnosis mm-hmm. and uh, Stephanie Bruce, yep. who was diagnosed probably about a year before I was. Mm-hmm. And she then in early 2011 had a breakthrough marathon performance. I think she ran 227 mm. and it was a huge PR mm-hmm. and she was so vocal about how important the switch in diet was to that breakthrough. And that was around the time I was gearing up for Boston. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, okay, you know, just trust the process. Mm -hmm. It's going to take some time to adjust to this, but she was so ecstatic about how transformative it had been Mm -hmm. that I, I just held on to that so much. Mm. Um, And, and it ultimately, you know, in hindsight was a real relief because it explained a lot of problems I had with food mm-hmm. as a child that I just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my mom would always do like a pasta night on days where we had to eat really fast. Mm-hmm. And I hated that because, well, the pasta was apparently blowing up in my stomach and that's why I didn't <laughs> want to eat it. So, you know, oh, that's why I was having uh-huh. these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, or we would get pizza and I'd only eat one piece and say I was full. Okay, now I understand why. <laughs> and now, you know, it's 11 years later. I mean, I have to think about it in terms of, you know, when we go out to eat and, and things like that, but it's it's perfectly normal uh, for me. And, to- and, and it seems more, much more um, normal and accepted today than, uh, and, you know, it, as you were saying, like there's, it's much more acknowledged and there's so much more good food and options. And also Amy Yoder, Begley and Steph Bruce, Bruce are both really incredible, um, uh, good aspirational inspirations, right? Right, uh, right. Have those voices for you. I'm also wondering, you know, in your book, you talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned being relieved to get that diagnosis. And in your book, you write about how you were eventually diagnosed also with clinical anxiety. And, and I'm wondering a couple of things, like was that a relief to find out for sure? And um, does running help or not help with that? It absolutely helps. And But in terms of it being a relief, it, it was because it was 
a marker that this was that had uh, defied my whole life. I, I was usually told that I was a warrior or overthinker. Um, and now to know that this was an actual health issue and that there were meaningful steps that I could take to combat that and to reduce the anxiety uh, was really helpful beyond being told, you know, Vanessa, just relax. It's going to be okay, <laughs> you know. Um, but in, in terms of running, I mean, running has, you know, played such an important role in, in dealing with that. And as we all do, we're always better people after we finish a run. We're better family members, workers, uh, partners, parents. Uh, but I, I know that if I can feel my anxiety ramping up and, you know, time-wise, my runs usually happen towards the end of the day. Mm. So as, you know, life events sort of build up throughout the day, I know I'm, I'm reaching that pressure point. But once I get going out for the run, it's just so nice to see that valve, that pressure valve release, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it just reduces the severity of the concerns that I've had. It's not uh -huh. going to erase anything completely, uh -huh. but it's going to make tackling these problems more manageable. Uh -huh. And and so, and now you also have a daughter in your life, uh, your uh, baby girl, Lucy, and she's coming up on her second birthday. Um, the first two years of, uh, of a, having a small child in your life, they're full of so many changes. And it ha this all happened during the pandemic, and you were writing a book, uh, the, the title of which is It's a Marathon, Not a Sprint. So tell us a little bit about the meaning of that title for you. That was a phrase that my professors in grad school loved to say to me, especially <laughs> because they knew I was a runner and, you know, they, they would always, I'd give them a check-ins and you try and give updates and they'd say, well, you know, you're a runner, Vanessa, you're organized. I'm sure you'll be fine. And you know, this is a long process. Uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Ha ha. <laughs> right. Um, and, but, but it was true that none of these processes, writing a, a book, writing a dissertation, training for a marathon, and now becoming a parent, are sprints although frankly sometimes i'm doing a lot of sprinting trying to get lucy not to climb everything <laughs> in sight but in terms of you know the the marathon aspect of, of parenting we have to have the the foresight to know that this is a long journey and that we're going to need and because of because it's a long journey we're going to need a lot of support along the way and so that's what's also interesting about the parallels between, you know, grad school and running is they both are in many ways solitary tasks, but they cannot be done in total isolation. And neither could parenting, although certainly the challenges of parenting during a pandemic has meant a lot of forced isolation. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's meant all of these have required, you know, a sense of being creative in how you're going to sustain these marathon length efforts, whether it's training, uh, 
being able to to keep writing even if you know you're dealing with writer's block and, and with parenting when you're dealing with you know different challenges associated with each you know developmental milestone i remember when lucy was 4 months old she could roll from her back to tummy very quickly but couldn't roll the other way mm-hmm. and so you know i would put her down you know on, on the play mat and she would instantly flip over which was great <laughs> but then she would cry because she couldn't flip back <laughs> and the it bug. was uh-huh. it was so maddening more for her than me but mm-hmm. it was maddening for me because it was like when are you going to figure this out <laughs> and you know obviously i knew she would at some point um but to just day in day out doing things like tummy time and all of these exercises just knowing at some point it's going to click mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then she did and now she's running around and getting into all these sorts of adventures you know she figured it out on a timeline that we don't get to find out when it's going to happen yeah Oh my gosh. All right. So, well, speaking of Lucy, uh, we saw on Instagram that you recently ran your first race of 5k while pushing Lucy in a running stroller. So how was that experience pushing, doing a race with a stroller? It was so much fun, at at least for me. And I'm not sure what Lucy thought about the whole thing (laughs) as a, as a COVID era baby, you know, she just has been to fewer events Mm -hmm. than I would have previously imagined. Um, but you know, we have been running together. Well, I ran throughout my entire pregnancy, um, even running uh, the the day or the morning before I went into labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember that day I was so happy. It was Memorial Day weekend. It was low humidity, which for DC summer <laughs> is a <Rarity>. miracle. <laughs> and I, I just, you know, I knew she was coming in, you know, a few days most likely and everything just felt so as hopeful and as as it could be in May 2020 mm. but you know I was giving birth to my first daughter everything seemed to be going well I was so happy mm. um and so I I ran and then a few hours later my water broke and then Lucy showed up the next morning mm-hmm. but I running became such an important part of our first couple of years together because you know particularly with the pandemic, it was, you know, one of the few fun things I could do regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something that I could do with her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a parenting perspective, it was also the easiest hour of parenting I'd spend <laughs> right. each day because she was safe. She was secure. She was getting fresh air. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she took a nap mm-hmm. um, instead of all of the time I would try and spend getting her to nap on her own. Um, and so she really, you know, has enjoyed being in the stroller, checking out different sites. So I was hopeful that she would also enjoy this race as well, um, which I did. I've, I've done this race before a number of times without a, a stroller. On this particular day, it was pretty cold, cold enough that I put snow pants on Lucy to <laughs> keep her warm, uh-huh. um, even though it was like 35 degrees and you know, I handed her a book. She held on to the book the entire race. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very windy. And that was honestly the hardest part of the race because pushing a stroller around with the wind 
mm-hmm. felt like you're just you know it's like an open sail just catching right, all right. of that wind right. uh, but people were so positive and cheering me on and saying you know go mama go and you know lucy wasn't startled thankfully by the starting horn or anything like <laughs> that and um i you know made a little side that i decorated the stroller with that said lucy's first race so not only were people Aww. saying go Aww. mama they were saying go lucy go lucy so Aww. very sweet it was really cute it was a really special moment and i hope we'll be able to do more of that and do you have anything next on your racing calendar uh, and and will that be are you going to do any solo endeavors <laughs> i don't have any races on the calendar yet with or without Lucy, I, I definitely want to be able to do more races with her down the road. And, you know, for a while I was a girls on the run coach. I hope someday to get her into that as well. That that's definitely a big dream of mine. Mm. Um, but in the future, I I've never done an ultra marathon before, and I would like to try a 50 K at some point. Um, at, at this point, the longest training run I've done is 13 miles. So I need to think, at some point, you know, uh, what sort of race I'm looking for and, and start setting something up on a calendar. But that's definitely uh, my next big goal. But for now, I'm also happy just enjoying running for what it is, for being a stress relief, for being fun, mm-hmm. for being social. Um, and, and and then we'll see when, when races uh, get added to the calendar. Nice, nice. We'll get out there and run for both Tish and I since we're on the injured reserve list. So go enjoy it for go enjoy it for us, please, Vanessa. So thanks for joining us and uh, best of luck with your book. Thank you so much. Again, I really appreciate uh, you having me on. I've always really enjoyed listening to this podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Take good care. You too. Well, Tish, um, as people are listening to this, the very next day, we're uh, releasing a very, very big announcement about our 2023 retreats. I am so excited. I will, uh, you know, let leak a few details for the first time. We're doing three retreats in one year. Uh, for the first time we're doing one in the summer, uh, we're returning to two popular destinations again and adding a new for us one that I am just over the moon excited about. Uh, We are rushing to launch them because we want to get them out in time for Mother's Day gift giving. So um, uh, tell your significant other or your parents, people who give you Mother's Day gifts, your kids, um, that that's what you want. Um, You can find all the details. As again, I said, those will be released on Saturday, April 30, 2022. Um, It'll be under the events on the top nav of anothermotherrunner.com. So really excited about that. And we hope to see you at one of our retreats in 2023. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Mm